Hello and welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we discover what helped them in their career, how they stay sharp, and their tips for managers to get the best from their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the co-founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a great leader by learning from others. Whatever the friction or the knot is, you really want to have an honest conversation about what you're dealing with, where you're at, and align on like a path forward. So you can't shy away from sometimes difficult conversations. And I think you owe it to yourselves and others to have the, the strength and the stamina to embrace those conversations quickly. That's Dominic Allon, CEO of Pipedrive, the sales CRM that helps small businesses grow. Its success has made it a global unicorn. And in this episode, Dominic explains how he enables the team around him why leadership requires solitude, how to be the best version of yourself every day, how he embraces vulnerability and a coaching style, and why culture change needs to be approached with humility. Dominic, nice to see you and welcome to this episode of Manageable Conversations. All right, awesome, Farley. Well, thank you for having me and I'm excited to get on with it today. Dominic, no surprises. I wanted to kick off with your sense of your leadership style. I really try and, and slow down. I really try and kind of co-create like vision, strategy and plans with my team. I really, really focus on seeking alignment. Um, and a good example of that is, you know, when I joined Pipedrive, I spent my first three months in like listening tour mode. I spent as much time as I could listening to the team. And then I summarized that in a six page essay and I played that back to the team. Like, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I love. These are the areas where I think we have opportunity. Did I get it right? If I miss something, like, let me know. Otherwise, if we agree, you know, this is a good synopsis of where we're at, then these are the priority areas going forward. And I found that that balance between like tuning into your and understanding your natural style and then kind of complementing that with kind of structures that give you an opportunity to show up really, really well um, has been effective for me. And then just the final thing on this question is that I see my role as setting others up for success. So it's all about enabling and unlocking others. I can never outwork this job. You know, if I work 120 hours a week, that's not as effective as me getting five or 10% more out of nearly a thousand people. And so I really focus on being very structured and rigorous around making sure that my team is set up for success. They've got, I've got the right talent. They've got the right goals, the right resources. They've got the right support. And I know that if I get that right, then, you know, as a leader, I can kind of light up and inspire uh, hundreds and hundreds of people. And, and on a day-to-day basis, that is my, that's my prime focus. One thing, just picking up on the six-page essay, which I immediately reacted very positively to, because it gives me a sense of some deep thinking, taking time, which all feels very respectful of all of the people you must have spoken to, to get all of that information. Where did that come from? I think it's a it's an interesting question, and I, I'd offer up a couple of things. So firstly, I came across an essay about 10 years ago called Solitude and Leadership. And the essence of the essay is that in order to be a thought leader, you have to have a thought. And the key insight there is that in order to be an effective leader, you really have to stop and think things through from first principles. Mm. It's amazing how many, you know, in the business world, how many people just kind of recycle other people's opinions. And the, the point about the title of the essay, you know, you have to spend time on your own thinking things through from first principles. And that's actually quite difficult to do. Mm. But the discipline of doing that, I think, is, is, is something you have to hone like over time. But if you can get that bit right and you can really synthesize your assessment of the landscape you know the dynamics of whatever the question is and it could apply to all sorts of you know aspects of your life as well as business leadership 
you then stand a chance of creating a, a compelling narrative, a compelling story. Um, and if you get that right, then you, you can really, I think, take the next step, which is to simplify things. Mm. You can actually take a complex environment and a number of complex dynamics and you can simplify them into something digestible. So, you know, the result of my three-month listening tour, speaking to nearly 100 people individually, reading every every single deck that had ever been published, <laughs> you know, really doing everything I could to do like desk research and, and to talk to people was a six page essay and then that was like a springboard into a one-page summary so we had the why the what and the how so why do we exist what's our purpose you know what's our vision and our strategy and then what's our value creation plan what are those six pillars we call it the pipe drive placemat so everyone in the company can understand what we're all about and i also kind of outside of those two i suppose kind of quite formal kind of mechanisms you know which i published very deliberately we ended up with a very very clear, very simple story. So I was able to be really clear with the team about what I love about Pipedrive, what inspired me and why I joined. And those things are really easy to understand. An incredible track record of product-led growth, which basically resulted in unicorn status on reimagining what it is to build an effective sales CRM. Mm. Secondly, that was enabled by incredible technology platform and engineering ways of working. And then I was also really inspired by the culture. You know, I've worked at companies like Intuit and Google that are very proudly, you know, people and culture-led environments. But I can tell you, Pipedrive has got something really, really special. Mm. I was also able to be really clear about what we needed to improve. So I felt there was an opportunity to uh, re-energize the forward-looking vision. Um, I felt like we had to do a good job of stabilizing the leadership team. And we had a job to do to ensure that the commercial engine, the marketing kind of partner and sales team was well configured. And that is a very, uh, hopefully as your listeners hear that, that's kind of relatable and understandable. Mm. And it's simple enough actually to be actionable. So you try and then, you know, shrink the big things to small things. Um, as leaders, you need to kind of simplify and clarify. And the good news is, I think, that many, you know, high impact initiatives are actually quite simple to execute. Mm. So if you break down each of those into their individual constituents, they're all kind of highly addressable. Mm. And as you get after them with kind of focus and tenacity, you can therefore, you know, have impact and create value. Any any learnings and tips for many of us who actually yearn to change ourselves and get stuck somehow or give up too early, perhaps? Are there some hacks that's a great question. And I'm going to start with a quote, which I love. It's from a chap called Warren Bennis. And he said, the process of becoming a leader is similar, if not identical, to becoming a fully integrated human being. And so for me, what that means is it's about integrating who you are, you know, with what you do. You can't compartmentalize, you know, your leadership role. Everything you do outside of the job impacts how you show up. And so a simple example is that doing all the obvious basics of getting good sleep, eating well, like exercising, all of those things create the springboard for you to be effective in your day-to-day -day environment. Um, and you have to really, really think those through. Mm. I also have spent a lot of time kind of trying to capture as I've gone through my kind of career journey, the lessons that I've kind of come across. And luckily enough, back in the day when I was at Google, I was on a leadership development course in Istanbul. And I, after that, was flying back to Hong Kong at the time I was running Google Hong Kong. And on the plane, I wrote what I called my Istanbul Manifesto, which for me has been a really powerful kind of durable reminder of what it is to be an effective kind of self-aware and growing leader. And looking back at it, I was really impressed by how many of those kind of core insights are still, I think, kind of true, right, mm. and, and relevant. 
So key aspects of that at that stage, right, 10 years ago of my leadership style are, are the following. So firstly, making an active commitment to be the best possible version of yourself. So I think it's really important that you you make that commitment to personal excellence and that you write that down. Like If you can't start with that fundamental commitment to yourself and those around you, I think you lose something quite powerful. I think it's also really important to take like personal responsibility mm. for kind of everything in your world. So like Jocko Wilnink, who's a ex Navy SEAL, um, he writes a lot about leadership and he says, as a leader, you're responsible for everything. Mm. Like everything is on you. And you have to take that kind of personal and kind of, I guess, corporate uh, responsibility, um, nurture that strong kind of locus of control, right? That sense of personal control mm. and really kind of actively manage your inner game. Be thoughtful. So as I said earlier, right, to be a thought leader, you have to have a thought. Mm. Stop and think things through. Don't just regurgitate and reprocess. For any kind of key decision, always try and go back to those first principles and ask yourself, like, what's guiding me here? How can I be consistent and how can I get to, to the right answer based on, you know, longer term kind of higher level principles? The final thing I would say is that, and this is this is something that I feel strongly about, time is precious and life is short. You know, it's really important to make the most of your opportunities and kind of act on today's inspiration, drive and resources. You may not have them tomorrow. Mm. So how does it go? Let me try and get this right. If you have the opportunity of a lifetime, take it in the lifetime of that opportunity. You know, mm. try and always make the most of the brief you have today. Don't really worry so much about where you came from and what's next. Try and get the most out of what it is you need to be doing right now. Kind of really focus and give everything you can to making that interview, like this podcast, that meeting, whatever it is, like the best it can be. And, and that way, I think over the long term, you can um, show up as the best version of yourself and, mm. and be true to that commitment. What about coaching as a culture, mm. coaching your team, mentoring others to coach? Well, firstly, I mean, as a point of principle, for as long as I can remember now, I've always gone out of my way to ensure that if anyone comes to me for coaching or support or advice, I say yes. But that's just one of my kind of rule, rules of thumb. And I say to the team at Pipe Drive, if you want to grab a coffee with me, anything you need, I'm here. My door's always open. Not many people take that opportunity, but if they do mm. ask me for half an hour, I'll always give it to them. Mm. I've also enjoyed over my career and benefited from, you know, kind of coaching training. Yes. That's been helpful just to get the kind of the fundamental structures around that. On a broader basis, I think the good news is that if you think about the intersection of leadership and coaching or leadership development or acquiring leadership traits. I mean, I firmly believe that leadership can be taught. It's not something that you're born with that you just kind of show up with and do. In fact, it's the opposite, right? I think you have to study and hone on your, your leadership craft. And I think good leaders recognize this and are always developing. Like for me personally, um, going right back to The Economist and I think 2005, and I was given at the time a coach who nearly 20 years later, I'm still working with. Wow. And that's been a really, really powerful part of my story. Having someone who can coach and develop me, someone who, regardless of who I'm working for, is kind of on my side, mm. someone who knows me really, really well, someone who's going to be able to point out my, not just my strengths, but also my weaknesses, someone who can see the patterns of mm. perhaps when I'm getting frustrated or I'm struggling with something. Dom, look, we've been here before. Come on, you know the answer. I mean, that's been incredibly helpful for me. And I think having a long-term coach is something I would really, really recommend. Mm. It's supported by a very kind of comprehensive and structured tool, which helps me understand the impact I'm having on those around me. Mm -hmm. So I'm really opening myself up to a really kind of honest third party interrogation of, hey, like what's working well? And where do I need to get better? 
it goes through consistently two kind of sides of the leadership paradigm. So on the one hand, transactional aspects, so kind of goals, roles and processes. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, what are considered to be more transformational aspects. So adaptability, connection and resilience. But really, it means that there's nowhere to hide. Mm. If my team are not happy with me, they've got ample opportunity to, to express that through these kind of structured 360 questions and through verbatims. And so, you know, that means that I have to bring a degree of humility and vulnerability to that conversation. And I can then come away with a sense of, you know, the one or the two things that I can work on. And then in probably about nine months, a year's time, we'll kind of repeat that process. So that kind of constant openness, that kind of vulnerability and that accountability is powerful in and of itself because it helps me show up well. But it also models, I think, the right behaviours for the mm. organisation. Mm. You know, it kind of lays, lays down the gauntlet for my leadership team. Exactly. And we're now trying to taking the same approach and asking the exec team to replicate that with their teams. So we can now get a sense of not just my leadership style, but how each of them are showing up with their teams, where we've got patterns across the organisation, how we might want to focus on development programs for our top, you know, 55, 60 leaders. Mm. And that's been, you know, super important to me and super powerful. Any thoughts about your impact on culture, accelerating culture change, or is it futile even for you to think of yourself as responsible solely for culture, as, as I sort of hear some CEOs think that the burden is on them or the leadership team to somehow cook up some global or unified culture? It's a great question. As a leader, when you enter a new company and a new role, culture is something you inherit. Mm. You, know, you think it's really important to tune into and honor that inheritance mm. as i've said like the first thing i did when i joined pipe drive was seek to understand and it is um, intangible it's nebulous you know i remember a phrase i used to use at google when people would ask me about the google culture and when we interviewed one of the kind of hiring criteria was googliness <laughs> and people would say well what's googliness and i used to say well it's hard to describe but you know it when you see it <laughs> you know there is something in that right you mm. as a googler you kind of know what googly is mm. but it can be hard to codify and there is something about culture that's intangible but you know, you have to um, approach it with humility and openness. You have to seek to understand and honor your inheritance. And then you have to ask yourself, how can I bring something to the party? Mm -hmm. You know, as I enter this community and this culture, what's my net value add, right? Uh, hopefully, I'm able to show up as myself and be myself. And that naturally is adding to the dynamic of the environment. And for everyone else you hire, that is also true. Mm. And so you've got this inheritance that you're then augmenting with new hires and new styles. And I think it's a balance between having people or come into and tune into and honor the culture, but will also have the strength and the confidence, the dynamism to be themselves and add to it. Mm. And in that sense, I think culture is a living entity. It's something that grows over time. One analogy I like is the um, an analogy that links culture to a changing human face. You know, if you think about kind of from childhood to teens to early adulthood to middle ages to old age, faces are almost always recognisably the same, mm. but they evolve and they mature and they grow. And I think there's something powerful in that insight, which is that cultures do tend mm. to have an inherent DNA, mm. that this, these kind of fixed aspects of the face of the culture, but that it can also grow and change over time. And you shouldn't be afraid of that. And so I don't see culture as something that, you know, I make or I do. Mm. I see it as something that you, you nurture and you develop over time. I mean, you do have to pay attention to it. And I think, you know, you have to be thoughtful about what are the things that I love about this culture that I want to develop and amplify and enhance. So, for example, 
we have a strong values-led culture. And every single month in our all hands, uh, Tanya, our chief people officer, and I give out three recognitions for people that emulate and um, live up to one of our key values. Um, at the same time, you might find that there are aspects of the culture that, um, that you struggle with, that you find difficult. Pipedrive is an Estonian born and bred company, and we're really, really proud of that. The Estonian style is very direct. Mm -hmm. And what they're interested in is a yes or a no answer very, very quickly. You know, some of my uh, training previously taught me to give context before content. Mm. I didn't work at Pipedrive because they thought I was just waffling. And mm. So I've now learned to give a yes or a no answer and then get to the context. Yes. Some people might tune out at that point because they've got what they need, but it, it's there if you need it. I think the notion that as a leader, like, you can kind of create the culture or stop it being one thing and starting being being another, I think is, you know, it's difficult. Difficult to kind of fundamentally change the way in which nearly a thousand people show up, you know, organically. Mm, mm, yes. You know, because there's a, you know, people have a natural tendency to show up as themselves. Yes. And when you put those people in a room, that creates something unique. And there's an element of, you know, it, it is what it is. My kind of fundamental point on this is that it's something that you have to kind of watch and listen to and kind of tune into in order to be effective and to go with the grain of that culture. If, if you were asked to give, you know, aspiring managers or aspiring CEOs some pearls of wisdom or some sort of hacks, any things come to mind? Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to try and avoid cliches, but I think there are some durable, you know, perennial truths here, which which mean that sometimes kind of cliches capture something really important. I think mm. the first thing I would say is be yourself. Mm. You know, it's hard work and it's difficult to be something other than yourself. And so I think you really have to kind of tune into who you are, you know, what your strengths are, where you're trying to improve. And as I said earlier, right, make that decision to commit to being the best version of yourself that you can be. And if you can do that, then that kind of authentic like energy and character will speak for itself and it will be honest and relatable. And if you're not that thing, I think it's very, very difficult to show up well. I think the second thing is that in terms of being true to yourself and allowing others to be true to themselves and in service to creating that chemistry and those strong bonds and the relationships that form awesome leadership dynamics and awesome team environments, you have to model a feedback culture. Mm. I think it's really, really important. For me, it's a, I see it as like an escape hatch, like a pressure release valve in the kind of pressure cooker of business. And I'm really, really obsessed with modeling an environment in which honest, direct and kind of fast feedback is just a part of the way we get things done. I try and bring, you know, kind of openness and honesty and humility to this aspect of, you know, the way we think about, you know, leadership and the way we try and build the team at Pipe Drive. You know, typically, if I had some feedback for someone, I would approach it with a mindset of curiosity. So typically, the conversation will be, hey, look, I wanted to talk about something. Like, here's what I'm seeing and thinking, but I know I'm just seeing my side of it. Like, where are mm. you at? Like, what, what did I miss? Am I, am I onto something here? Mm. Sometimes people will say, yeah, you, that's exactly it, Dom. I'm, I'm really pleased you said it because I want to talk about it. And sometimes you'll get, actually, no, that's not what happened at all. Mm. You got completely the wrong end of the stick, in which case, like, that's fine, too. What you're looking for is a chance to have an honest, open conversation and get to alignment on the issue at hand. Like, whatever the friction or the knot is, you really want to have an honest conversation about what you're dealing with, where you're at, and align on, like, a path forward. So you can't shy away from sometimes difficult conversations. And I think you owe it to yourselves and others to have the the strength and the stamina to embrace those conversations quickly. Mm. I also, as a matter of course, will constantly ask my team, how am I doing? So I will regularly in one-on-ones, I'll ask my team, 
Um, have you got any feedback for me? Is there anything else you need from me in order for you to succeed? And I see, you know, their responsibility to give me feedback as something that's really critical to their role. It's not something that, you know, is a nice to have. I expect them to be giving me feedback. And so hopefully if I model the right environment and the right behaviors and approaches, they then will feel confidence in giving me feedback and keeping me honest. And mm. I think you need that. If you don't have that, you're flying with kind of one eye closed, right? You're you're closing yourself off. You've got a blind spot mm. to the impact you're having on those around you. And, you know, we're all a work in progress. We're all kind of developing in different areas. You might crack a kind of development area one year and then fall back on it next year. As you grow in your role and as the business develops, new challenges come up, you have to constantly be aware of what's going on around you and constantly kind of honing. You mentioned pressure cooker, Dominic, mm. and you did talk about having a long-term coach. I think you briefly mentioned you know, diet and fitness. Are there other ways you resource yourself to stay resilient in the face of setbacks or just to cope? It's a great question. I'm very clear about my aspiration, right, which is to be the best I can be every day. Mm. And that applies to today, tomorrow, this time next year, this time five years, this time in, in 10 years time, right? For me, resilience is about being performing at the top of your game every day, like forever. And if you're very clear with yourself and those around you about that standard, that then invites certain behaviors, right? And disciplines. Mm -hmm. So the things I mentioned that you just recapped there that create that platform, that kind of bedrock for long-term high performance are really, really important. Mm -hmm. So sleep, rest is critically important. In fact, you know, resting and recharging, I think is actually more important than working because if you don't get the rest and the recharge right, then you can't show up at 100% every day. Mm. That's critically important. You know, good diet, uh, regular exercise, getting away right from the office and having downtime. Mm. I'm, I'm really strict and disciplined around all of those things. And I think, you know, we'll all know there'll be times when perhaps you had a really, a, perhaps a period of super intensive travel. Mm. And, you know, you got out of whack on your sleep. I think keeping an eye on those basics is, is really important. I think being brilliant at those basics and working on those is is super, super important. So I try and get that right. And I think that kind of serves me well over the long term. I also think about it in terms of kind of short and long term equilibrium. So, you know, the idea here is that you in any given day, you can get that balance right between the rest you need, the exercise you need, eating well and being brilliant at work. Mm. Now, sometimes you have to kind of mortgage the future because you've got an overnight flight mm. or you've got a particularly kind of late night deadline, in which case, fine, you know, you might want to get that back over two or three days. Mm. Sometimes you have sustained sprints, right? You've got a big project on for a few months and you kind of burn the midnight oil for a quarter. That's fine. Try and get it back the next quarter. But the idea is that you're constantly looking for that equilibrium. And I think the big trap, right, with today's environment is that because we're always surrounded by machines that never rest mm. you know you can be captured by this kind of electronic environment right where the internet is constantly available to you but we cannot be effective if we operate like a machine we can't be always on a multitasking we have to pulse we have to consciously renew our energy and that kind of equilibrium principle is what I look for. That balance between work and rest and recharge is super, super important. As a rule of thumb, I tend to be doing one thing or the other, right? So when I'm at work, I'm all in on work. And when I'm not at work, I'm all in on the rest of my life. I tend not to, you know, let work intrude outside of that, you know, typically like Monday to Friday daytime window because mm. I'm less effective in the long run. So that equilibrium and that kind of like long term 
attention to balance is really, really important. And there's no reason why we can't be as energized and effective in five, 10 years, 15 years as we are today. And that, you know, that's my aim is to deliver on that. Dominic, time's flown. This has been a brilliant conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. I'm really, really pleased to have this conversation and I hope your audience have taken something away that they can uh, work on. If you enjoyed this manageable conversation, there are many other perspectives we offer our community of managers worldwide who coach and individuals from all walks of life who benefit from being coached. That's all from me. I'm Farley Thomas. Until next time.